The views expressed on this show by guests and the hosts on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Free Fall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. We are back after the 9-11 anniversary, and we got a lot to talk about this week, and we're joined by Roland Angle. Roland is the current CEO of AE 9-11 Truth. He's a graduate from the University of California, Berkeley, with a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering. He served in the U.S. Army Special Forces, where he was trained in the use of explosives, and he became a licensed civil engineer in California after that experience. Uh, his 50 years of engineering experiences included design and testing of blast-hardened missile launch facilities and designing U.S. naval explosive containers, harbor terminal facilities, earth foundation systems, and hydraulic systems. In addition, he has owned three construction companies and has taught engineering subjects to high school students and he's worked hard for a very long time to get us people out there in front of the engineers who need to hear this information the most we'll be talking a little bit about that today among other things but roland welcome back to 9-11 freefall thank you andy it's great to be back let's start off talking about project due diligence and where that is going now currently you are training new speakers to go out and share the 9-11 evidence with other engineers and really just the overall public. So please talk a little bit more about that. When I was asked to join the board uh, back in 2016, Kelly David, who uh, was the originator of that request, made it clear that we needed more participation from the engineering side of the architects and engineers. So when I came aboard, I promised that I would direct a program that would bring more engineers on board into the organization and that we would utilize that new blood to reach out to the engineering community. So I utilized the petitions that the organization had been circulating since 2006 or 2007, and we had hundreds of names of engineers, uh, literally thousands, more than a thousand at that time, and so I, along with you and the staff, researched those connections and specifically reached out to structural and civil and mechanical engineers as they are the engineers that would have the best background and experience in investigating the collapse of a high-rise steel structure like the Twin Towers and Building 7. So I was able to recruit in short order about 40, 45 engineers that agreed that they would help us get that information out to the engineering community. Because we had a problem, and that was the dominant engineering professions had not taken up the interest in the government reports on those building failures that we felt was commensurate with their importance. There had been a long wait period between the time the buildings 
came down and the government published their reports. The National Institute of Standards and Technology was the executive department that was given the responsibility for conducting the investigation into why the buildings came down. And they did not publish their initial report on the towers until 2005, and they didn't publish their report on Building 7 until 2008. So I think that long lag time sort of put everybody to sleep, for one thing, and when the reports actually came out, they were quite extensive. The report that NIST produced on the towers was, I think, about 10,000 pages, and the report on Building 7 was over 1,000 pages. So it, it was very intimidating for the average engineer to take the time to delve into those reports and sift through all the evidence and the tests and so on and so forth and come to some sort of conclusion. And I think everyone just sort of assumed that because the American Society of Civil Engineers and to some extent the Structural Engineering Association of New York were involved in those reports that probably the reports were good. It wasn't until we began to look into the details of the reports that we began to realize that there was something seriously wrong. For one thing, the reports on the towers never explained why the towers collapsed. What it did was it put forward some evidence as to what they thought had caused the initiation of the collapse, that is, the impact of the planes and the fuel that ignited afterwards had weakened the area of impact, according to NIST, and caused the upper portion of the buildings to fall on the lower portions of the building. And then, at that point, they simply said that global collapse ensued. But they never explained structurally how that could occur when there was so much infrastructure in the building below the impact zones that was so strong uh, it was difficult to conceive of how the relatively minor part of the building on top had caused the collapse of the lower part. Nevertheless, that was their explanation. It lacked any detail, and they did not produce any of the documentation or the computer models that they had developed to explain how that had happened. Then when their Building 7 report came out, they cited what they said was an extraordinary event, that normal office fires alone had caused the collapse of a high-rise steel building, which had never happened before. So that and alone was cause for speculation or concern about what had really happened. And we looked into the report on Building 7 and found a number of serious anomalies and omissions that led us to conclude that their conclusion that the building came down due to fires was suspect. So we hired the University of Alaska Fairbanks Engineering Department, led by structural engineer Professor Leroy Halsey, to conduct a study to see if he could replicate what the NIST report had said about Building 7. And over the period of four years, he did an extensive examination of the report and what he knew of the evidence. He recreated a model for the building, just like they did, 
He tried to get the model to behave as they did under the same fire loads, which they said caused the collapse. He could not replicate their results. So in the scientific world and the engineering world, if you get two studies that come to two different conclusions, you have to examine both studies and find out why they don't have the same conclusion. So we went to NIST and we said, listen, we have these things that we saw in the NIST report that we think are wrong, and we're asking you to correct your report. There's laws that require government agencies to produce information that is accurate and reliable. And so they could not do that. They Instead, they came back at us after a period of time, and they said, no, we can't. We're sticking by our original report. And they simply denied that any of the information that we submitted was uh, relevant. So we have now appealed that, and the appeal has been denied in the same way that the original uh, was denied, and we are now taking them into court, and we are presenting our evidence to the court, and we are hoping that the courts will rule in our favor and require them to correct their report on Building 7 to reflect an analysis that is consistent with the evidence. So that's where we are. We're up against a stone wall in the sense that the engineering establishment, the American Society of Civil Engineers in this case, and they persuaded other engineering organizations to stand by the original NIST report. They refused to engage in any dialogue or debate about our evidence and our conclusions versus the NIST evidence and conclusions. And so that's where we are. That's why we've had to go to court. And we're hoping that we'll get some relief from the court. All we're asking for is a an investigation that compares the NIST results with our results. This is the scientific process. This is how scientists, engineers, and other people in the scientific fields come to their conclusions about whether or not their theories are right or wrong. It's a process of debate. It's a process of back and forth. And that's how we come to the conclusions that all of our scientific evidence is based upon. So that's the history of science and the history of engineering. And we're simply acting in that same spirit and in that same vein. We are perplexed as to why NIST has not responded to any of our claims. And we're especially concerned about the fact that we are being portrayed as conspiracy theorists. And we are not conspiracy theorists. We are experts in our field that are pursuing our knowledge and our expertise to examine a very specific case of some failures that occurred that need to be explained properly so that we can understand what the cause was so that we can move forward with our practices to protect the public safety adequately. And we are being denied that opportunity to even have that debate. So that is, in a, as shortly as I can uh, put it together, an explanation for where we are in terms of the official government reports uh, on the collapse of the buildings that day on 9-11. All right. These are unprecedented times that we are living in, maybe not unprecedented so much for the world, if you look at it in the picture of humanity, but unprecedented here for the United States 
of America. Many of us thought that there were institutions that would be looking after the American people and stepping up and giving us an accurate report of what happened in these three buildings on that day. However, what we've all seen, especially this audience, is many efforts to get at the truth, to correct the errors in the NIST report, to point out their shortcomings, to put it mildly, have been stonewalled, as Roland says. And uh, what we've all learned is that just because some official institution puts a rubber stamp on something, don't necessarily trust it. you got to look into everything for yourself and speak up when you see problems, when you see abuse of power or uh, a cover-up going on. And so that is why we are taking this to court, and we've been made that announcement before. Uh, we're getting Roland's insight on it now. Now, something I want to address, and <clears throat> I've addressed this on shows in the past, but I want to get your insight, Roland. You know, some people out there are cynical, and you can understand, considering what we've gone against in the past and the outcomes that we've faced, uh, and they say, you know, the court system, who cares? You know, Congress, who cares? They'll say they're corrupt. They'll say that they're going to find some way to not do anything with it. However, I still believe that we have to try to go through the courts and follow all of those avenues, and I have my own opinion as to why, but I want to hear your opinion, Roland. Why do we continue to pursue this important avenue? We have a responsibility to the public. We have been licensed by the state. We have to go to school. We have to study. We have to learn from past practices. We have to become professionals. And that means that we're experts in the field of building construction, building design, building forensic analysis, all these areas, there are many areas of engineering, but all the engineers that are licensed by the state that they practice in have actually a legal responsibility. And that legal responsibility is to properly protect the safety of the public within the bounds of the knowledge that they have. That's simply a fact. If we become aware of something that is a danger or that presents a danger, a potential danger to the public safety, we are duty-bound, legally bound, morally bound, beyond that, to investigate that instance and bring it to the attention of the proper authorities so that it can be investigated and perhaps needed changes made. We have an extensive literature of codes, practices, textbooks, standards, etc., that have been developed over hundreds of years of experience. And the reason why those exist is because somebody at some time in the past found that if you didn't do things this way, you were going to have a problem. And that problem could harm people that were using the structures and the devices that had been designed and built. So therefore, it's a feedback process. And that's what we're pursuing here. The towers came down and killed almost 3,000 people. There are few disasters in human history that match that kind of carnage. It is inconceivable to me that we have a legitimate study that was published by a known professor of civil engineering and others and reviewed and was not contradicted in any serious way by anybody in the profession. There are even three of our due diligence engineers, by the way, who have promised 
$30,000 to any engineer that could come forward and disprove the University of Alaska study, and no one has even attempted it. So we have a problem here. We have a serious disaster that cost the lives of almost 3,000 people directly and many others indirectly, and we have an explanation for that disaster that does not meet the professional standards in the opinion of 3,500 of our professions, and we don't have the answers, and we need to find the answers, and we're being denied the opportunity to pursue that discussion. So what we're witnessing is something, really, it's scandalous that in a disaster of this magnitude, we are being denied the opportunity to investigate the evidence, debate the evidence, and come to a conclusion that is consistent with, by far, the general consensus. And I can tell you, as Project Due Diligence Coordinator, that we have taken this message out across the country to engineering groups around the country and even in Europe. And we have not found one engineer that would stand up and say, you know, I think you guys are way off base and you should just let this go. Everyone agrees there are serious problems with the government report. Everyone that we've talked to, and that's why 3,500 of them have signed our petition. How can this be denied? How can this be stonewalled? This is an outrageous proposition. And we, all of us in the world, but in particular here in the United States, we are owed an explanation by our government that makes sense. And we don't have one. And right now, as I've said it so many times, we've already made the case, at least for a new investigation, justifying it. Now we're facing a psychological problem here. We're facing an institutional problem. We're facing an establishment that does not want to deal with this. And that's why it's important to keep on going to court. Keep on going to Congress as well. Keep knocking on those doors, even if they want to shut them right in your face. You keep on knocking, you keep on pushing, because that is what's going to get results. That is what's going to get people to pay attention to it. And who knows, you never know who you're going to run into in these outreaches. You might run across some staffer that is sympathetic, that actually agrees with you. You might run into some uh, great lawyer who manages to do some good work and get uh, something done on this front. You never know, and you always got to be hopeful. But that's how you remind them that you are still there, and that's how you gain momentum. And it's not just happening here in the United States with NIST. It's also happening in the UK with Matt Campbell pursuing a new inquest into his brother Jeff Campbell's death. This was actually covered in our new film, The Unspeakable. Roland, I'd like to hear your thoughts about the inquest. Yes. The inquest was held originally back in 2010, I think, or 2011, that concluded that Jeff Campbell had been killed in the North Tower as a result of the plane impacting the building and the building collapsing, and he was killed, supposedly, in that collapse. Now, if that were the case, we would have found some remains of Mr. Campbell, and remains of him did not show up for several years afterwards. And when his remains did surface, they were tiny little pieces of his body, little bones, little pieces, uh, several. But for his case, he was one of the 2,000 or so individuals that was killed that day where some part of their uh, remains were found. 
there were about a thousand people that died for whom no remains were ever found. And then it turned out that they were finding little bits and pieces of remains on buildings far away from the site of the towers. So when you take that evidence on its face all alone raises some very serious questions. In the collapse of a large structure like that, you would expect to find remains, of course, crushed and disfigured and in some way horribly injured and destroyed. But there would be remains. What kind of physical process would lead to little tiny pieces of bone and fragments found far, far away from the site of the building collapse? And the coroner reports of some of these remains even indicated that some of them were literally melded together. In other words, the remains of more than one person in one fragment. So that would indicate that there was a very great force that caused those parts of the bodies from different persons being literally welded together. All this is indication of some kind of a very powerful pressure wave, the like of which could not be produced by a falling building on so many thousands of victims. In addition to that, there was other evidence of explosive residue found in the dust. There was molten metal found in the collapsed structures for months afterwards that could not have been produced by jet fuel or burning office furnishings. And there were many hundreds of eyewitness reports reporting explosions in the buildings. So when you put all this together, you have a conclusion that contradicts the inquest that came to the conclusion that Mr. Campbell was killed by the falling building. So we have collected that evidence and we are presenting it to the court, to the inquest, to the coroner's court, and saying the original inquest needs to be revisited. The conclusion about the manner of death for Mr. Campbell is not correct. The evidence doesn't explain what we have found since then, and we want to reopen the inquest, and we want to present this evidence so that we can come to a factual and accurate conclusion about what brought about his death. So that is our purpose there. It's important for us to make official recognition of the fact that the buildings did not come down because of the planes and the fires. The buildings came down because there were explosives in the building, and that is what caused the death of Mr. Campbell and the others in the buildings. So that's our intent. We're hoping that the coroner will look at the evidence and say a new inquest is required to explain the evidence. And if the coroner doesn't agree, we can take it into the higher courts and get a ruling there that we hope will be uh, in our favor. So that's the story with the Campbell case. We are pursuing that in the interest of all the people that were killed that day. And we think that their families, and in particular, their families, but also all of us, are entitled to an accurate explanation for what happened. And that's the method that we're pursuing to try to get that published.
And as I said, Matt Campbell is featured in The Unspeakable. We ran an early version of that film on September the 10th. We had a good Q&A session with the family members afterwards, People who, uh, mostly people who appeared in that film. Definitely worth watching, and that was an early cut, folks. The final edition is going to be even better, and that will be coming up very shortly here. Uh, but Roland, we got only two minutes left. I'm just going to say, you know, doing that Q&A session, watching that film... Just strengthens my resolve as to why we do what we do here, what AE Nile of Truth exists for, and really is in service to the people who can't speak for themselves anymore. That is the victims of September 11th and the family members that still remember them and fight for them. That's what our mission is about to me. I just want to hear your thoughts on those sentiments. You know, the truth is hard to come by in instances where there's a great consequence for its revelation. And we've seen that over and over again in history. This is, in many ways, not a new phenomena. Those of us that studied science a little bit, we go back and we, we go to Galileo and his argument with the church regarding the astronomical movements of the planets and whether or not the Earth was indeed the center of the universe, as was widely believed at that time. And we see that it wasn't until 500 years later that the Catholic Church only recently admitted that Galileo had, in fact, been right. So the truth eventually comes out, and it will, as it must. But it doesn't come out easily when there's matters of great importance at stake. And in this case, because of the political decisions that were made after the buildings collapsed, there is a great deal of weight that is attached to whether those conclusions were correct or not. And so we have to understand that. It's not going to be easy. We understand that. So that doesn't prevent us from doing what we need to do. The fact that it's difficult only means that it's all the more important that we continue. And that's what we'll do. Absolutely. Roland Angle, thank you so much for your work here at AE911 Truth. And thank you so much for coming on 911 Freefall today. Thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. This is Andy Steele. Have a great week. Good luck.